Amen. Thank you. Welcome home. Good to see you. You're looking well, although you're a little short on the uptake, a little slow there. Good to have you here. We're so glad. Um, it's a great blessing to be in God's... You don't even wait. It's okay. Go ahead. Children, you're released for Children's Church. You're free. Run, run. Yeah, because we'll, we'll, we'll like close the doors and then you'll be stuck here at the, at the big people's table. Go ahead. Have fun. Hear the gospel. It'll be great. So glad you're here. Lot to do, lot to celebrate, lot of joy. A um, couple of things uh, we want to make sure that you know about. Next week, we have another baptism. So uh, if last week you didn't get in on it and you wanted to and you felt God calling you to and you're around uh, for graduation weekend, uh, talk to me, talk to Matt. Uh, we want to, uh, to include you in that if that's something that, that God is calling you to. Secondly... A little housekeeping here. If you don't have a bulletin, if you don't have a pen, you're going to need one because we have a little bit of an assignment here. So uh, just slip your hand up. We've got uh, Roy is back there. If you need one or the other or both, he will get that to you. Um, uh, while we're doing that, Luke 2. Luke 2 is where you want to be this morning. This is the second week of our four-week Christmas series that we've called Ornaments. And today we're going to talk about the nativity scene uh, that many of us have in our homes, uh, around churches, you see them in the neighborhoods, and we're going to be talking about some elements of that uh, that are, are scripturally correct, and some that uh, maybe don't square up so well with the Word of God. Um, if you've got, if everybody's got what uh, the handout's there... Um, we're going to need another second. Um, I heard a story uh, while, while they were passing those out. Uh, there were two boys around the age of seven who were home, and they're hanging out by the bay window of their house. And they're looking out over the neighborhood at all of the uh, Christmas decorations on people's lawns and, and eaves and porches and things, and they see Santas and reindeer and trees and stars and all that. And, then, and it's all very pretty, and this one family has... Only the nativity scene. And one of the seven years old, old leads over to his friend. He goes, what do you make of that? He says, well, I guess they don't believe in Santa. He says, yeah, but they're real nice people. They're still nice people. So we're going to be looking. It was a lame story, but we need filler. We need filler because we're passing out the stuff. Here's your, here's your assignment on the back of the bulletin. Put a one, a two, and a three, one above the other. And here's the quiz. Um, there are no wrong answers. For those of you who are getting ready for finals, you'll be comforted to know that. Number one, I'd like you to write the ugliest sin or, you know, that you struggle with that you hope nobody finds out about. You might want to write this in code, Okay. <laughs> If you're inclined to cheat off your neighbor, this is not a good one to cheat. You don't want that one. You don't want that answer. Put something down there that you would remember, because we're going to go back to this. You need that. The thing that you are struggling with that you know, if you're not set free from, will destroy you. Okay. Number two, these get easier. Number two is a person whom you care about who is far from Jesus. 
Don't anybody write Pastor Tom. That's not funny. Just go ahead. Number two, fill that one in. Person you care about who's far from Jesus. Number three, final question, and then you can put these away. Number three is the thing that this person is struggling with that gives you great concern that if they're not set free from it, will eventually destroy them. Okay? It's not hard. It's not hard because we all have stuff like that. We all have stuff like that. That's the honesty of, of coming to the cross, coming to Christ. Okay, you got those three answers? Good. You can put those away, um, and we'll get back to it later. Uh, let's pray, ask for God's help, and then we'll, we'll get started. Uh, Lord, you are so good. Your word is good. Your presence is incredible. Lord, you have truth for us about who we are and about who you are. And Lord, we want, uh, we want to be open to it. Uh, Lord, so we ask that you open our ears and our minds and our eyes and our hearts and, and that you reveal yourself. And Lord, that we would be changed, that we would be changed people and we would know the awesome love and mercy and grace represented in, in the incarnation, in your birth, Lord Jesus, and how that can absolutely change our lives, our eternities, everything. Lord, I ask for your mercy that you would forgive me my sins, and I wish there were not so many. And Lord, that you would, uh, that you would be big, that you would be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 2, we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 4. Very familiar to you, uh, to most of you anyway. This is traditional Christmas story. This is um, the story on which most of our nativity scenes, and I've got, I've got one. We had, a little, we had a little tragedy here, a little catastrophe. The angel uh, slipped off the nail. Um, this is the the passage on which most nativity scenes are based, okay? So if you don't have a Bible, there may be one in front of you under the seat. Um, if you don't have one at home, that's yours to take and keep, or you can follow along on the screens. Pick it up in verse 4. Here we go. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, that's Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keep, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I, will br I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. In a manger. Our Savior in a manger. 
And we're going to take a look at the story and, and see that there are some, as we've configured our nativity scenes as part of our ornaments, as part of our celebration, as part of our heritage, that some of it is accurate and, and some of it not, not quite so much. Uh, we've messed it up a little bit. And, and some of that is, is really no big deal. But some of it is absolutely a huge deal, a huge deal. And what we're here to do this morning is to get that one piece right. Because if we don't, we can miss the entire truth of the gospel. The entire truth of the gospel. So that's what we're going to do. Um, as I said, excuse me a second. As I said about the manger... Um, it should be shocking that our Savior is in a manger. It would be like saying something like, oh, I saw Bill Gates dumpster diving. Okay? Those two things don't seem to go together, right? So um, I love nativity scenes. I don't want the, the hate emails. Tom, you're, you're so negative. No, I love them. We're just going to take a look at them. First, first, three kings over here. Okay? No three kings. No. They don't belong here. What do I think happened? I think somebody started selling the set with the three kings, and then everybody had to follow along. You know? You, you, you got the set with the three kings. Nothing wrong with the three kings. Nothing wrong with the magi. They just don't belong in the nativity scene. Why? Why? Glad you asked. Matthew chapter 2 Verses 9 through 11. They got the memo much later. Much later. All right, let's take a look. Matthew chapter 2, starting halfway through verse 9. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child, not infant, where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Okay, this guy looks like he has a migraine. Have you ever seen the three kings in the nativity set? Rejoiced with great joy. I'm not seeing it. And he's got his hand above his waist, so you know he's not a Baptist. So, okay. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And here it is, verse 11. And going into the, say with me, house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down worshipped him, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Two different, two different occasions, okay? By this time, they weren't doing the stable, they weren't doing the manger thing anymore, you know? Joseph is a carpenter, he's going to launch into the real estate thing, you know, he's doing most of the, most of the work himself, probably, Get some of his friends who are subcontractors to pitch in, lets them hold the baby in lieu of pay. You know, I think that's, well, that's probably not how it went down, but they're in a house. They're in a house, and Jesus is a child at this point. Number two, um, while we're on the subject of the wise men, why three? Why three? Do you know that in Scripture, nowhere does it say there were three Wise men. In fact, some of the women here would say, I've never seen three 
wise men or magi. Um, what has happened is culturally, uh, we have three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That was in this Matthew 2 passage, right? And so they figure three gifts, three wise men. Um, there are two reasons mainly that I think we have the tradition of, of three wise men. Here is number one in 19, 1857. There's a pastor named John Hopkins who wrote a, a Christmas carol called We Three Kings for the General Theological Seminary in New York Christmas pageant. And uh, I guess it got a lot of airplay, started climbing the charts. We're still singing it. We have no idea. We really don't whether there were three or not. Reason number two is the passage in the gospel, as I mentioned, mentions three gifts. And popular opinion says three gifts, three magi, three wise men. Now, I suspect that this might have started with the women in, in those local societies saying a man is incapable of picking out more than one suitable gift, okay? So there have to be at least three. And if these men were truly wise, they would have asked their wives who would have forbade them from going to the house of the king empty-handed. So there have to be no more than three. So uh, we don't know, but that is speculation. Another one, before we put the wise men away, they and all the adults, including the shepherd, including the shepherd, are in robes. They're in robes. Why? Well, maybe that's what they were into. But it's nighttime and it's cold. Baby Jesus, in at least half of the nativity scenes, is almost naked. Almost naked. Wrap him in the swaddling clothes already. It's scriptural. I, it may seem like, like a little thing. Okay, before we go on, I want to I point out Mary and Joseph. You, you see how rested they look? They, they're so put together and, and rested. And, and the scripture tells us uh, that they just finished a road trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register. Now, Nazareth to Bethlehem, because I have Google Earth, which they did not, is roughly 70 miles. 70 miles, she is pregnant, very pregnant. And they either walk or take a donkey, and you've got to cross the Jordan River. And they're looking fresh and rested. We drive to Denver, and I need a night's sleep before I'm ready to face the mall. <laughs> when Sheree was expecting Tommy, we walked around an air-conditioned mall, and fresh and rested are two words that radiant I would use, <laughs> but fresh and rested are not two words that I would, that I would use. Think about walking from Gunnison to Montrose, not just to the edge of town. You've got to go all the way in, take a left on Townsend, and go past the starving Arvins on your right. I clocked it. Oh, this pastor stuff is not easy. 
but I'm here for you. And gives birth outside, fresh and rested. The point of all this, and, and there is one, is that our nativity scenes look too nice, too polished. In fact, I think about the one you grew up with. Think about the one that may be in your house. I think, you know, we have this picture that we're going to make it like Martha Stewart kind of blew through there and, and decorated. We have this affection for Spanish moss over an A-frame cottage or cabin, right? It almost looks like a place where you're going to camp. It's a pleasant space. It was disgusting. It was disgusting. And ours are clean. The original nativity scene was a sty. It was a sty. And we have to grasp that. Jesus was born in a dump. In a dump. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. Jesus was born in a sty. And that should offend, in the best sense of the word, people like us who go to City Market and you won't, you won't select the cart that has that wilted lettuce leaf in it. If you ever want to make sure your cart is there and has nothing in it and you want to leave and come back, crumple up a tissue, throw it in there. Nobody is going to touch it. I guarantee you. Because... My food's not going in there. The original nativity scene was an absolute dump. And before you say, my Savior's not going in there, yes, he is. And we're so glad that he is. Let's review for a minute what a manger looks like, what a manger is. If you looked at this one, this one's from our house. Um, it even has a little headboard. It's like a little crib. A manger comes from the Greek word fatne, which means to eat. Any Italians out there? Got any paisans in the audience? Yeah. My mom was Virginia Rosalie Batoni. How many of your ancestors at mealtime said manja? Huh? Manja, manja, eat, eat. That's where it comes from. Manger, manger. But it's not where people eat. It's where animals eat. Where animals eat. I have a, uh, we have a, a two-pound teacup poodle. Um, and her dog bowl is disgusting. Disgusting. We never, we seldom wash it. Why? Because she didn't care. 
It's all her slobber. It's all her food and half-eaten stuff, stuff she finds, stuff that happened to be in her mouth when she started eating. She's not capable of making a huge mess. These sheep, cows, donkeys eat out of this, which never gets clean. Our Savior was born in your dog dish times 100, times 100. It is a feeding trough for animals. It was a mini feedlot. Anybody here from Greeley? Him, yeah, you, you, yeah, you got one, Bucky. You want to go get a donut or something? And we got another, another friend here. I love you. You ever been to Greeley? You ever been to the feedlot? Okay, you smell it before you see it, right? Because for animals, their kitchen table and their outhouse are the same place, right? You. You're getting what I'm saying. You, you, you're getting what I'm saying? Okay. It's important. Jesus' manger was disgusting. <coughs> and it's meant to be. It's meant to be a little offensive. But our nativity scenes, the area around the manger... And the manger itself, they're, they're clean, right? They're scrubbed up, polished up. They look charming. The beauty in it is the whole setting, right? Oh, it's beautiful. It's far more beautiful than many of us imagine. But maybe not because of the way that most of us imagine it. Okay, let's do a show of hands. And I, I don't mean to be offensive, but this is closer to the truth than this is in its clean state. How many of you with your nativity set got little plastic um, fake cow patties to just spread around there? Show of hands, anybody? Nobody? Nobody? Okay. That would have been more authentic. Anybody have a scratch and sniff nativity scene? Hands up. Come on, let me see him. No? It would have been more authentic. We need to get this. We need to get this. We who think that cleaning toilets is beneath us or serving people that we think we're above, we need to get this because in this is the gospel. In this is the good news. In this is the beauty of that scene. In this is our freedom. In this is the love of our Savior. Things I just mentioned, I didn't mention at all to be disrespectful. They're much closer to the original. Uh, the gruesome, ugly truth and the real surroundings preach the gospel far more than our polished displays ever will. Ever will. So why do we clean it up? Why do we make it 
pretty. Probably out of respect for Jesus. Because our nativity scenes, our manger scenes, if you will, um, we like to make it a place that Jesus would deserve to be. A place fit for a king to be born. And in so doing, that totally misses the point. It misses the point. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus, is often called the humiliation. Let's take a peek at what he was doing before Christmas, the first Christmas. Philippians 2, pick it up in verse 5. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It means do this, be this, just as Christ is this. Who though he was in the form of God, he was fully God, fully man, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or clung to or protected or not, or not sacrificed. But he made himself what? Say it with me. He made himself nothing. Nothing. He made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. So we know if we read Colossians 1 that Jesus is before the incarnation. He is on his throne in glory, right? He is the creator God. All things in Colossians 1, it says, are made through him and for him. Okay, this creator God humbles himself and becomes nothing. Nothing. And is born in a place where we wouldn't put our pets. We wouldn't touch. He's born into it. And this God, if we, if we read uh, the first chapter of John, nothing was made that wasn't made by him. So enormous power, all power, all wisdom, all glory, all knowledge. This arrangement, being born in a sty, does not surprise him when this happened <clears throat> and Mary and Joseph go and there's no room in the inn <clears throat> and they have to go to the manger there's no conversation in heaven between the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Father saying to the Spirit, <clears throat> didn't I ask that you make the reservations at the Bethlehem Ritz Carlton? Did you not do that? And he's saying, oh man, so much going on. You know the season. But, uh, you know, this, this might have an upside. Uh, it'll, it'll be perceived as really organic and kind of outdoorsy. And the people in western Colorado kind of dig that. He wasn't surprised by this. Jesus could have been born anytime, in any place, in any way, and he is born in the most disgusting, humbling, offensive, beautiful way. Became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he's exalted again. Therefore, God has highly exalted him bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And this is happening now and it will happen 
in fulfillment at some point. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The highest being became nothing, nothing, and was exalted again. And we're looking at the offense of that. John 17, 5, Jesus is getting ready for the cross. And he says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see the downward mobility? You see the stepping down, the stooping, as heaven crashes into earth, the most glorious, incredible, beautiful, holy, righteous one comes down and is born in the midst of filth. Of filth. In the first chapter of John, John 1, 14, says the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. I love how the message, it's a paraphrase of the Bible, puts it, here it is. And the word, who is Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He moved into your neighborhood, my neighborhood. And it's not a good neighborhood. It's not. That was his mission trip, the one he calls us on. He descended to enter into the mess of sin and sorrow of our lives. The manger was disgusting, and it is not what he deserved. But he came to give us what we did not deserve. He became like us so that he could make us like him as he created us to be before sin and sorrow and heartbreak and brokenness entered into the world. All of the disgusting mess that the manger was is my heart. Is my heart. I am the manger. You are the manger. We have to get there. And I'm afraid that I'm afraid that as we clean up our nativity sets, we think that somehow we've cleaned up ourselves so that maybe 
Jesus came to make good people a little better. He didn't. He came to make wrecked, ugly hearts new. He came to make dead people alive. He came to take that which is disgusting and make it glorious. The beauty of this scene isn't how nice we can make it. The beauty of this scene is realizing how awful it is. And the God who is holy and lives, as the Bible says, in an inapproachable light, did not run from the ugliness that we have inside, but dove head first into it to pull us out. To pull us out. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of the nativity. On June 5th, 1978, a seven-year-old boy named Martin Turgeon slipped off a wharf and fell into the Prairie River in Canada. At least a dozen adults saw him struggle and try to swim for several moments before he sank and drowned. Why didn't anyone dive in to save him? Because just upstream, there was a plant that used to dump raw sewage right into the river, and the water was dirty and dangerous to your health, so nobody jumped in to save Martin Turgeon. And he died while people stood around and watched. Jesus is not like those people. Pastor Matt Woodley put it this way, and I'll read what he wrote. Sometimes we feel like God looks at us and says, look, I'm not diving into the mess of your life until you get out of that putrid river. I am a holy God, so you clean up your act first, and then I'll accept you, and I'll embrace you, and I'll love you. But in this passage, we meet a God who was and is willing to plunge into the mess of human sin and sorrow. We meet a God who says, I'm coming in after you before you get out of the river, before you can even try to clean yourself up. And those of us who clean up the nativity sometimes try in our own strength to clean up our lives on the outside, thinking that God will somehow love us better. He's interested in your heart, and only he can clean that up. And he's saying, wherever you are, if I can be born 
in the middle of donkey drool and cow cud and partially eaten hay and manure. There is nothing in your life that I am not willing to plunge into. I will be born into that so that I can raise you up out of that. For he laid in the sin in the manger and he became the sin on the cross so that we might receive the gift of his faithfulness, of his sacrifice, forgiven, free. That's the gospel. He dove headfirst into the putrid mess of our jacked up lives, our secret sins, our struggle and our sorrow to rescue us. He's standing with us. We've got to get to the point where we say, I am the manger. And there is a savior lying in the manger. And that is great, great news. Great news. Go back to what you wrote, if you would. On your bullets and follow along, plugging in your answers when I tell you to. In your mind, you don't, don't say them out loud. Excuse me. This is the truth of the nativity. That Jesus made you and he loves you so much that although you have fallen in with me, with Matt, with Billy Graham, with Mother Teresa, with everybody you've ever imagined into this river, That is putrid. I am not going to watch you drown. I'm coming in after you. I am coming in after you. In fact, I was born into whatever you wrote for number one. I'm willing to come very near to you in whatever you wrote for number one, to stand with you in that, to love you in that, to set you free in that, to wash you clean in that, to raise you up out of that. I've come near and been born there. What's more, I deeply love you and I deeply love whoever that person is you wrote for number two. But what breaks my heart is that he, that she doesn't know it yet and is still in the river. And so I'm calling you to go as I went to stand with him or her and rather than judge them for number three, whatever number three is, that you stand with them in that, that you love them in that, that you build them up in that, that you tell them of me, 
who wants to raise them up and set them free. I'm calling you to go and to love because I go and I love. The tragedy of the church, the tragedy of the church is that we put, we tend to, and I'm talking in the big we, the big C, not just this place. We tend to find the most wrecked people and try to put as much distance between us and them as we can possibly put. Because we want a community of faithful, clean, scrubbed mangers. And none of us outside of Jesus Christ is that. And can you see, can you see when we reject the most broken, the most struggling, the most drowning people that is such an antithesis of the gospel of the Jesus who said, I am most holy and nothing, nothing can stop my love from being right there. The most holy in the most broken places because I love them. Why? Why are the people who desperately need Jesus the most so made to feel so unwelcome by his family? We... The reason, the reason our friends, the reason our families, the reason our town, the reason our college is struggling and suffering without Jesus is because God's people don't realize that we are the manger and we've rejected the very people that Christ humbled himself to reach and set free. And unless and until we're broken by that, we will not at all reflect the heart of our Savior. Because we've scrubbed up the nativity. It's great news, and I didn't mean to yell at you today. I thought this was going to be really up. Luke 2, 11. Here's the great news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And get this. This is going to be your sign. You're going to find a helpless baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Oh, how great his love is for us. How great his love is for us. Let's pray.